That is sharing the good news. Everybody needs to hear the good news. There's good news to be had. Amen. And we got to be excited about it. I wonder if people looked at us today if they would think we got anything good news about us. Or is it just all bad? I mean, there's some bad news that people need to know about themselves uh, before they understand that. Because, you know, hey, there's no such thing as good if there's not bad, right? If there were no bad news, there couldn't be good news. Or is it just be news? Uh, But we need to be excited about sharing the good news. If time goes on, if time goes on, anybody that's saved 200 years from now will only be saved because of people who are alive right now. Because God is determined to share his gospel through people who he's redeemed. That is God's plan A. There is no plan B. It is through his church. If we don't do it, it's not going to happen. He's not sent angels to go evangelize the world. He's sent his people. We're all part of that. That's what we're about. Now, Timothy uh, is a young pastor at Ephesus. We know at this time as we study all this timeline out and that Paul has mentored him and Paul has kind of like thrown him in the fire. And he's there and we know that Ephesus is a very, very wicked city. There's all kinds of pagan stuff going on. There's even the people, the Gentiles from that area, they even have a temple to a sex goddess uh, of sorts, and that, and then, and the stuff that they do, what they call worship, uh, and if you read back in Acts, um, the uh, kind of the Greek name uh, Diana, or 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 the Roman, or the Greek is is uh, what is it, uh, Artemis. Uh, so anyway, this, this, is, this is like something that's going on in that town and people that are involved in it coming out of that. This, they're learning stuff that's so different than what they had ever been taught, right, about the truth. And then there are those who were raised Jewish that lived there, and some of them were kind of legalistic. Then there were people who were some of the early, what we might call Gnostics, that were... were teaching all kinds of false things, mixing a little gospel, mixing a little Judaism, mixing a little paganism, a little mysticism, and all this stuff, and there's false teaching going on. And so Paul is, has warned about that. We talked about last week discipline for the truth. In the first part of this chapter, he warns about all this false teaching and, and mentions some of it that's coming out of that. Uh, so here's Timothy, and Paul's trying to continue to mentor him and prepare him. And part of the theme of, of what he's talking about was in last chapter when it's about how you need to conduct yourself and behave yourself in the family of God. And so we're getting information on that. And so not only do we need to be disciplined for truth, but also for godliness. Now, would you read this with me? We're going to pick up, we're going to back up to verse 7, actually. And we're going to start there because he talked about, uh, about discipline. See if we can pick back up with it. In verse 7 he says, But reject profane and old wives' fables. That's heathenistic and silly myths. Okay? And exercise yourself or train yourself rather toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust, have faith, in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially, or you might say particularly, those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, 
to doctrine or to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given. And that gift had to do with teaching and preaching. Because he says, right then he says, don't neglect the gift that's in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. And you know, this is kind of the the theme verse of this chapter. You ready for it? You're not asleep already, are you? Come on, it's the word of God, it's alive, it's powerful, okay? Here we go. Verse 16 says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. The word doctrine literally means teaching. So he's saying, take heed to yourself. Watch yourself and watch the teaching, the truth, okay? You better watch yourself. Better check yourself before you wreck yourself. I had to say it again. Watch yourself and the teaching and continue in them for in doing this, you not only save yourself, but if you're teaching people, also those who hear you, okay? So uh, this, this is where we're, where we're at today. And we noticed last time that there's, there's a couple of disciplines that are pointed out in this chapter. And they all pertain really to being godly. And the key verse is verse, part of one of the key verses, verse 7, where he says to exercise yourself to godliness. Remember last time we talked about what that word means. It's a word we get the English word gymnasium from. And so literally he's saying to train yourself. Discipline is in this verse all over it. It's a concept of discipline that's involved in it. And uh, he's saying to train yourself, discipline yourself. Literally in the Greek it's gymnasticize yourself for godliness. And a primary discipline included in that is receiving and maintaining God's truth. Uh, And we talked about that last week. There's no way that we can rise to God's requirements of holiness and purity apart from his revealed truth, the word of God. We're not even going to know what it is. There's no shortcut. There's no bypass to the word of God. And we found out that Jesus is the actual embodiment of truth. And only through coming to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior can you be forgiven of your sins and made righteous before God. That's what separates the gospel from all the other religions of the world. As we've talked about so many times, all the other religions of the world have people trying to do something to try to reach God or to try to reach some higher level of whatever. But Christianity, the gospel, the true gospel has God coming down to lost mankind who is helpless and cannot save themselves. And when we receive the gift of the payment that Jesus made on the cross for our sins, we also receive the new resurrection life and power that he, he displayed in the power of his resurrection to transform our lives. And so it's only through that that we can be made right with God. Otherwise, everything that we try to do will fall short because we're already disqualified. Every one of us. And so basically, you have all these religions in the world that pretty much are saying the similar thing. But you've got one that's unique. That says you can't do it. You start by admitting that you can't do it. You can't be good enough. And you can't ever deserve it. And you totally put your faith in what God has done already on your behalf. But when you do that, His power comes into your life to begin to transform your life. And so then the changes that happen in the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we react, we're going to be blessed because of it. But we don't get the glory for that. He does. Because it is Him living in us and through us. He produces the fruit. He's the vine. Remember John chapter 15? We're the branches. 
The branch doesn't produce the fruit. The branch only bears the fruit. The vine produces the fruit. So we've got to stay connected by faith, abiding in Him. And as we do that, He will produce His fruit that only He can produce through our lives. And He gets glorified. That's the ultimate goal of our life is to glorify our great God. I love that last song we sing. Great is our God. We just glorify Him and just praise Him and worship Him, but that our lives glorify Him. When we stand before God in judgment, everything that we've done with our life that glorifies self or promotes self, even things that we try to do in the name of God and everything else, if it's all about me, then it comes to nothing. The only thing that's going to matter on that day as I stand before God is what has come through my life that has glorified Him. I want there to be something. Amen? Because even though we're going to be blessed and rewarded, God gets all the glory for our salvation and even all the good works and things that come through our life, He's going to get the glory for it because it's Him living through us. And that's part of what Paul's emphasizing here with this godliness, this whole thing of godliness. And what is that all about? Um, but as we're forgiven, we're made righteous, we're, made, we're separated before God. That means to be made holy. And as we saw in the first part of this chapter, as I've already mentioned, the truth is under attack. So we've got to be disciplined. We've got to be disciplined. Now, that whole thing with discipline, last week we referred back to even where Jesus said, if you want to follow me, one of the first things that you need to do, besides believing in him, is to what? Deny yourself. So there's a part of me because I live in a sin-cursed body and we live in a sin-cursed world. That's why things aren't perfect here. People are always asking, how could could there be a loving, all-powerful God and there be allowed so much pain and suffering to go on in this world, right? Well, if you understand the Word of God, you understand that we actually brought that in with sin and the curse of sin. This earth is, is cursed and The flesh has been cursed. You find that in Genesis. And so even though you're saved and you're a new person, you're a new creature, this new creature is still living in this old body of flesh. There is a fleshly nature that you still have to deal with. You obviously see that in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul's talking about the the lust or the battle between the flesh and the spirit. You see Paul talking about it in Romans chapter 7. There is sometimes a battle that goes on. The thing about it is, is you don't have to be a slave to this world. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be a slave to your flesh. You don't have to live in bondage to just satisfying the desires that that flesh part of you has because you've got a higher power. You've got a greater power living inside of you now when you get saved and have the presence of the Spirit of God living in you. So that now you can, what he says, even though you're alive in the flesh, and Paul's like, you know, you're, you're real, you're flesh and blood, but you don't have to walk in the flesh, you can walk in the Spirit. That means you're walking by his power. How do I do that? Part of it is, is there's a part of me I have to deny. I have to yield my will. I deny my selfish desires, my flesh, and I yield myself to him. To walk in his will. And to walk in his strength. And so, uh, we're going to put our attention on this second part of this, of the effect of that. The discipline for godliness, which is also about holiness. It's about purity. This is a result. Okay, are you with me? This is a result of when we receive God's truth into our hearts and our minds by faith, fully embracing Him. It affects us. It changes us. It's alive and it's powerful. 
Because how you believe, you got to start with the truth. If you're not square there, you're not going to be squared up anywhere else. Because how you believe will determine how you behave. It produces, God's truth produces change in our way of thinking, our way of living. And now we seek to glorify Him and not ourselves. But we've got to cooperate with what He's doing so He can produce His fruit in our lives. So um, as we think about this, um, the first thing that He says here is that we need to discipline, exercise, train ourselves for godliness. And if you look down, he says, he says that bodily exercise, and they're familiar with that. I always find a lot of places Paul uses these illustrations that have to do with athletics and about discipline. So you think about the athlete, and he uses that. I think, I think you know, hey, I, you know, I, think, I think Paul you know, liked a lot of different types of the contests and the sports and things like that. He knew a lot of people did too, so he kind of used that. And, and he's talking about this, and he uses the word that they, uses, they, they used uh, as translated exercise here. So anyway, so basically you see the athlete, and as they strip away everything that slows them down or hinders them if they're running a race or they're fighting a battle, and that they, they, they train and they discipline themselves. What do they do? They deny their, their, their most human urges that I want to quit, I want to stop, I want to just sleep in every day. And you deny that and you push yourself and you achieve more than what you thought you could. If you just eat whatever you want, anytime you want, uh, you're, you're not going to stay in shape, right? If you just sleep all the time that you just want to sleep, you're never going to be out there and be productive. So we have these appetites that are a part of our flesh and kept within God's boundaries. They're useful and necessary. But when we take them outside of that, they destroy us, right? You have an appetite for food. But, you know, you get outside of God's boundaries there and you can destroy your health, right? You have an appetite or an inborn desire for sleep. But if you don't ever get enough sleep or if you sleep all the time, you can destroy. So, so basically there are some appetites and some things that are built into us that God gave these guidelines. You keep them in there, they're going to be blessed. You go outside of there and you're going to self-destruct. And so when he tells us and gives us his commands, he's trying to make us have the best life we can have, right? And the most productive. So they're for our protection. They're not to keep anything from us. We have an appetite for relationship. And for relationship, uh, marriage, uh, sexual relationship, and all that. God gave us the boundaries for those things too. You keep them inside there, you're going to be blessed. You take them outside of there, it's very destructive. Okay, So you could go on and on and on with all of this. And so just like the athlete has to deny himself, discipline himself, yield himself to the goal, to reach the goal, he's saying that's what you need to do toward godliness. And so he says that you know bodily exercise, that's good. You know, in fact... We probably need to do more of it, and it profits a little. But there's something even greater. You need to take that same discipline that the athlete uses, and you need to apply it to your spiritual life. He says, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that you're living now and the life that's to come. And then he just backs that up and says, this is a faithful saying, and you need to accept it. You need to stop and let that sink in. So how disciplined are we toward godliness? How disciplined are we toward the things of God? I mean, how disciplined are we even before we gather with other believers to worship that we prepare ourselves? We're more worried about our outside than we are our inside. How many families try to stop and pray together before we come to worship together? You know, and you know, it's all, the devil's going to attack on Sunday morning. 
differently than he attacks on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. When our kids were all small, Clarissa and I found out that we had to start getting ready for church on Saturday, didn't we? Because, you know, I would do something and she ended up being like upset at me. Can you believe that? Or I would say something smart. Anyway, no, but, but what we found out is we would have a conflict. And it was. And you know, you know, I love all my kids, but I'm telling you, the devil will go to work in them on Sunday mornings. You know, and if they're going to puke or spit up, they're not going to do it before you put their good clothes on them, are they? No, they're not. They're going to make a mess. They're going to do whatever. It's going to be after you got them ready for church. Um, remember that one time I was going over to preach a revival, and we were, like, running late? And you know what? Cindy uh, Pasley, Cindy was, was going with us. And we'll never forget this because we're, we're living out of town. Man, she's coming over and helping us, and we get them all ready. And, you know, the twins are babies. And uh, Gillian's not come along yet. And we get them in there. We get them in the car seat. And I guess we had fed Seth a whole bunch of little SpaghettiO-type things because he has this little nice outfit on. And, man, he just puked it all over himself and everything. You know how that stuff stains everything? And it stinks. And it was just like we're already late. And I'm the guy that's got to drive. I mean, we got to drive there. And I'm the guy that's got to preach when we get there. And so, like, why now? Why now? You know, what's going on with you? After he did it, he's just like happy as he could be. He wasn't sick or anything. He just decided to hurl. I mean, stuff like that's going to happen. I mean, it's just going to be it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a battle. But we found out that we got to figure that into the plan, right? That you got to start planning ahead and expect some battles. All right. So don't be like going into this. Satan's got a strategy, I guarantee you. So you know what? You and I, we need to be wise to it. We need to ask God to help us prepare for battle and be ready to strategize. And we have to discipline ourselves and discipline ourselves spiritually. And Paul says in verse 10 that this is what I work for. I labor. There's some sweat on my brow because this is so important. that I And I also suffer reproach. I go through tough times. Why? Because we trust in the living God. And this is it's all worth it because I, the gospel worth it. Godliness is worth it because he's the Savior. If anybody's going to be saved, it's going to be through Jesus because he's the only one that paid our sin debt on the cross. He said, there's no other way to the Father except through me. And everybody needs to hear this. What did we study in class, right? God has a lot of children, but God has no grandchildren. Right? That means you're not saved because your parents are. Your kids aren't saved because you are. Everybody must receive Christ and become a child of God personally themselves. So that's what we mean when we say God has no grandchildren, just children. And pray that all of us will trust Christ. So we've all got to be part of the whole thing of sharing the gospel. And one of the ways we do this is through discipline of the truth and discipline for godliness. Now, when he says down in verse 12, Oh, look at verse 11. He says, these things command and teach. So he gives Timothy the authority to command. I mean, this is coming. So now you realize that at this time that Timothy didn't have what you and I have. He didn't have the New Testament. So that's why anything like even the calling that's on your life was confirmed. This calling to teach and to preach by myself, Paul says, and the elders who identified with you. They placed Now, they, the gift came through this time, but God gives the gifts. Paul didn't give him the gift, right? But it's recognized by him. And during as they were praying, God revealed to them that this is the gift that he has for Timothy. And that identifying with the elders and himself connects them and and his credibility to them. 
And everything that was taught in the churches, everything that Timothy or any of these young pastors taught, had to be traced to Paul and the apostles and Jesus. Everybody that had heard them teach had to judge and decide, is this what we've always heard? Why? Because they didn't have this. Now, if you want to know what me or anybody else is teaching or preaching, does this match what the apostles, what Jesus gave to them that they taught? You open this book and look, right? So since he didn't have that, this is very important that you discipline yourself to stay on target with the truth that's being handed down and the scriptures are being written at that time. Very important. So he says, I give you the authority to command these things and to teach these things. Aren't you glad that he doesn't just command us, but he also teaches us? It's not just this, but here's why. Command and teach. Now, he says... Don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word and conduct and love and all these things. So he charges Timothy to be an example in speech, in his words, in, in, in conduct, in his life, the way he lives, in love. Now the word spirit there is not in most of the older manuscripts. It doesn't hurt anything there. But also in faith, in the way you trust God. And he says, look at this next word, are you there? Look at it. It says an impurity. Purity. And the fact is, is that all of these other things lead to that last one, purity. And that word purity is used differently than anywhere else. It's actually the root word for holy. And the word for holy uh, in the Greek is hagios, and this is a form of that word. And to be holy, what does that mean? What does it mean to be godly, to be holy? What is all this talk? Well, we talk about being godly is living in a way and thinking in a way that is Christ-like and the way God, living the way God wants you to live. Being holy is related to that, and literally the word means to be separated, that you're separated, that you belong to God. And so that's what he's saying. Listen to me. We're living a separated life, that we belong to him. We're pure. Now, I like to think of it this way. So when he, when he separates us, he wants to separate us from the things that defile us. He wants to make us holy. I think of the same word um, like a sanctuary is a place that's set aside for a specific purpose. You sanctify something. The word sanctification is related to this. It means you're set apart. But also our word sanitize is kind of like that too. Growing up in the dairy, you know, it come after you get done, you got to clean everything, and then it's got to be, you got to run the sanitizer. And so I grew up with the smell of bleach and iodine and everything else. So anyway, um, <clears throat> thing about it is you get ready to have surgery. You want things to be pure. You want everything that they're going to use to cut into your body to be separated from everything else. In fact, did you know that the surgeons and the nurses and the techs go through a whole lot of training on just how to scrub and get ready so that they don't contaminate you? Because if something is sterilized, that means there are no germs, that bacteria, virus, or anything that could get in and multiply and, and, and kill you or infect you, right? So if there's just one germ, is it sanitary? No, it's not. And so, you know, the, the surgeons get ready. You're going in an emergency. You're all bleeding and everything, and they're going to do emergency surgery. And they had a homeless guy that just came through and said, we don't have time to scrub and get everything ready, but I blew on everything and wiped it off. Let's get started. You're going to have a problem with that, aren't you? I guarantee you, in the surgery room, if they drop something on the floor, they don't say, five-second rule, and pick it up. You know, because it could be contaminated. 
See, and, and so this is what God is saying. What I want to do is to cleanse you from all of those things that will contaminate your life and defile and infect and destroy your life. And this is a lifelong process that we're going through here while we live in a sin-cursed world, even in a sin-cursed flesh, that God still is sanitizing us. Amen? He's making us separate. He is purifying, making us godly, making us holy. And we need to be disciplined to let Him do that. If you will be godly or pure, then you're going to be in a lot of opposition to most people around you. You're going to be different. Young people, you want to rebel and be different? Quit being weird. (laughs) That's the best way to say it. Uh, What you need to do is be godly. Because I guarantee you, you want to be different? You want to be radical? Then you be Christ-like. Because you're going to be different than most everybody else. And you're going to stand out. And God's going to use your life. Um, So if you discipline yourself in this way, you're going to be different. And it's going to take, how about this? I heard somebody call it this. It's going to take some holy sweat. I mean, it's going to take some spiritual discipline, okay? Uh, But you can't put the purity part in front of the receiving the truth. That's why he says in verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading and and, and proclaiming exhortation. You're going to read the word. So basically all scriptures he had was Old Testament. But the reading of the word is very important. Reading of the word. Are you reading? Are we reading the word? I mean, how many times we spend more, some churches spend more time on, on like announcements and prayer requests and things like that than we do actually in the Word, see? And reading the Word and then proclaiming, expounding, exhortation, uh, and, and teaching the Word of God. So he says, that's what I want you to do. I want you to give to doctrine means teaching. I want you to give attention to that because you can't have the purity, the godless, without the truth first. So he says, you've got to get that straight or else you'll just kind of whitewash the outside like the Pharisees did, but on the inside you're not right. You make it all look right on the outside. You do the right things. You look the right way and all of that. Uh, but on the inside, you're still not right. That's not what he's after. He wants it to start in here and come outside. So the thing is, is that just because we are saved by grace, it doesn't mean that, well, good old God, he's just going to cleanse us and forgive us no matter what. Um, God's grace is what saves us. And God's grace is what keeps us. It's not my abilities. But yet... His grace wants to produce something awesome and glorious in and through our lives. Right? Okay, let's just go to it. All right, so think about this. Got to get the truth first. We know this verse, most of us, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is God's grace that saves you. That is Jesus, God's grace, God's undeserved kindness. Jesus dying on the cross and paying your sin debt. Okay, how do you receive that grace? Through faith, that you put your full trust, rely, submit totally to him. You receive it by faith. So that's what that means. For by grace you've been saved through faith. You receive it through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. He paid for it, you receive it. This is not something that so many people are trying to achieve. And what you first need to do is just receive by faith. He says, the gift of God, he paid for it. <clears throat> Not of works, lest anyone should boast, because if you could work and earn it, then you could brag about how good you are, right? You could brag about how good you are. If you thought you were that good, one day you could just march right up to the throne and say, God, I, the perfect one, has ar- have arrived. Move over. There's two of us now. Not going to happen. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so it is all by God's grace. It is God's grace that saves us. Um, you know, 
in grace alone. We don't merit any of it ourselves when we believe in God's God's truth. The only thing we must agree is that the only thing I deserve is hell. It's a gift from God that, that must be personally received. Not of works. If it was, then we could boast of our own self-righteousness apart from God. But we can't. But don't forget verse 10. He says, for we are. So we're saved totally by His grace. But we are His workmanship. And that means like a work of art. Actually, the word that's translated there is a word we get like word art from, from like poem. It's the word for poem. We're His masterpiece that He's putting together. It's the exact Greek word that we get our English word poem from. But you might think of it, we're his work of art. We're his workmanship. You Listen, you're his masterpiece. And he's chiseling away and he's working away. He's forming you in a way that will glorify him. So he says that we are created. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. See, there it is. You are now in Christ. You were in your sin, but now you're in Christ for, the, for good works, for the purpose of good works. So the works come as a result of being saved and in Christ and of you being His workmanship. And God actually preordained these things that He wants to do through your life. He has a plan. He keeps molding and shaping you into the image of Christ. That doesn't mean that you've earned some kind of better standing on your own. It just means His grace is at work in your life and He gets the glory for what he's hap- what's happening, what He's doing in your life and through your life. This whole process of, is being made godly. It's part of the discipline of godliness and being made holy. Another word, as I said, is sanctification. Paul illustrates that to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he says that in a great house, like somebody in a great house, you know, they got like a lot of stuff. Got a big house and a lot of stuff. Right? They have all kinds of things. <clears throat> they have all kinds of vessels. Like some of you guys, we're poor. We only have, you know, this and that, just a few things. But they have a lot of things. Not only vessels of gold and silver. Woo really fancy, but also wood and clay. So some for honor, some for dishonor. Now, if you're going to put the scraps and trash and stuff in one, are you going to pick the gold one? Are you going to pick like the clay one? Okay, you got the idea, I think. Are you there? Hello? It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the ladder, the ladder, wood and clay, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Wood and clay are all natural things, all right? And, and it's like the gold and silver are like divine things. There's a lot of wood and clay still here that I need to be purified from so that I can be a vessel of honor, right? I want to be a vessel of honor. There's all kinds of illustrations running through my mind right now, right? I want to be something that God can use, but he's got to prepare me to be that vessel that will contain his presence and work through me. Um, that's kind of what he's talking about here. God is saying, I will do this thing. Um, so discipline, listen, there's a matter of discipline involved here that I have to deny myself. Now, when I say discipline, I'm not talking about legalism. There's a difference here. Discipline doesn't mean that you are legalistic. The difference is one of motivation. Legalism is self-centered. It's like, look what I'm doing for God. And I like to just look and judge how that a lot of you don't measure up to what, you know, right? That's what legalism does. We're always looking and judging other people. It's not that. Uh, Legalism is self-centered. Discipline is God-centered. The legalistic heart says, I'm going to do this thing and gain some kind of standing with God, gain brownie points with God. The disciplined heart says, I'm going to do this thing or not do this thing 
because I love God and want to please Him. See the difference in motivation? Some are just checking a box. And some just love the Lord so much they want to please Him. That's what motivates us when we're disciplined for godliness. So when do you begin? When's the time to begin? He tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Well, Timothy was a young man at this point. And listen, right now he says, "Don't you're young. And he says, you know what? Don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. Now's the time, Timothy. And you cultivate discipline early in life. Listen, young people, you're in here. Listen to me. You've got to cultivate it now. If you wait till later, it's going to be more difficult. Now's the time. Don't go out and sow your, sow your wild oats first because then you're going to have to walk through a bad harvest, okay? Because what you sow is what you're going to reap, right? So listen, now's the time. You can save yourself a lot of hassle if you just develop spiritual discipline right now but say you're not so young <clears throat> can't go back in time best time you got is right now right now is the best time you want to know why because it may be the only time that you have past is gone we can't go back there the future we don't know if, we'll, if we're going to be there or not we don't know where we're going to be tomorrow but right now and I'll tell you let's just say you do have tomorrow or next year I'll tell you why now is even better still is because right now you have less problems and less baggage than what you'll have tomorrow if you don't. You have less sin to repent of than what you'll have tomorrow. You have more time than you'll have because even if you make it tomorrow, that means you're, you're, you're running out of time. And so now is the time right now. And only when you're godly or you're pure can God really use you to the max. Now, let's take it home, all right? He goes on to say, that he says, meditate on these things. Don't neglect that gift that is in you. God has called you. God has gifted you. Don't do your own thing. Do what God has called you to do. And there's others that have verified this and have seen that. The word has gone forth. This is what God has wanted to do in your life. Don't neglect it. What do you mean? That means you need to give attention to it. That means you need to stir up in the flame. Remember he tells him that later? Stir up, fan into flame the gift that's in you. Sharpen the axe. And so he says, meditate on these things. Here's some ways to cultivate this purity. Stay in the truth, the Word of God. Meditate. You've, are you following me? On these things. The truth that God's... You've got to meditate on it. You've got to stay in the truth. You've got to stay in the Word of God. Meditate also involves praying. You want to pray and meditate. Seek, seek His face. All these things must be done daily, not just once in a while. Meditate. Also, guard your thoughts. As I meditate on these things, part of the discipline is this, is that I deny myself and yield to Him. Deny myself and yield to Him. Hey, sometimes it's even denying myself, you know, of the things, some thing, good things that I think I want to do so that I don't miss out on the best things. I got to tell you, I really struggle sometimes with being so busy trying to just do good things. Do good things that people expect pastor to do. And the enemy sneaks in the back door. And I get so busy doing good things that people expect me to do that I don't have time for the best things that God wants to do. It's very tricky. It takes a lot of discipline to really discipline my mind and discipline my life to experience God's best. I've got to seek His face. I've got to guard my thoughts. 
And some people say, well, you know, I pray all day and I try to keep certain thoughts out of my head and then I woke up having a dream about it, whether it was some uh, greedy, lustful, or anger, or whatever it was. And it's like, oh, well, Satan tries to sneak into the subconscious, right? That's why, you know, you may not be able to keep certain thoughts from coming into your mind, but you can take them captive and make them obedient to Jesus, Paul says. Martin Luther said you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. So what do you do with them? The fact that bad thoughts come necessarily means you're, you're real. What do you do with them? Do you submit them to Christ? Do you discipline yourself? Do you guard your thoughts? Ask Him to guard your thoughts. Another way is memorizing scriptures. He's saying meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. That means I am going to get so wrapped up. I'm going to commit God's word to my heart and my mind. So that, so that listen, the Holy Spirit has never helped me quote a verse that I've never read. I've got to take it in. It's a weapon that can be used. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the offensive weapon that we have, the Word of God, that we want to have. Memorize it. you gotta, you got to do that. you got to stay in it. And you know what? As they say, we are in it to win it. Amen? Are you in it to lose? Do you want to be defeated? Well, my discipline just puts me in a position to see His power. I can't discipline myself to make God's work happen in my life. I discipline myself to get me out of the way to give Him access to do His work in my life. Accountability. Paul was accountable. Timothy was accountable. He called to his mind himself and other elders that had laid their hands on him. we got to be accountable with one another if we're going to be disciplined because you probably will not do this by yourself and we're supposed to be part of a body anyway, Right? Accountability. If you're just isolating yourself and you're not connecting and becoming accountable and then praying, you're probably not going to be as godly as you could be because we're part of a body. And what happens with one of us does affect all of us. And you need to be real. Be real about your weaknesses. Quit trying to fake it like you're perfect or like you don't have these problems. And we do that. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Doing fine. We all say that. But when you really get close and accountable with people who you can trust, how you doing? Well... I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep from getting my equipment repossessed this week. How are you doing? Well, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. See, but when we see each other in the crowd at church, how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Oh, doing good. You know, so you get that vulnerability when you get that close relationship that helps us. So that be real, be accountable, go together. And then be careful. You got to watch yourself. Just take heed to yourself. Watch yourself. We got to watch it. Got to be careful. And be aware of God's presence. This is what this is what sustained Joseph through he went through all that stuff with being sold into slavery by his brothers and being a slave in Potiphar's house and then being falsely accused and being in prison. He kept that awareness of God's presence. Be aware that God is watching you. And that God is the one who's going to live through you and help you if you give him access by discipline yourself and yielding to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.